the uh, reading of God's word in your bulletin. Praise the Lord, O my soul. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. He makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the air nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied by the fruit of his heart. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for, for man to cultivate bringing forth food from the earth. Wine that gladdens the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread that sustains his heart. The moon marks off the seasons, and the sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness, it becomes night, and all the beasts of the forest cry. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises, and they steal away. They return and lie down. The man goes out to his work, to his labor until evening. How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. These all look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. And my meditation be pleased as I rejoice. Join me in the responsive reading for Psalm 103. <laughs> praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He will not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As a father, he has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. From everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children. With those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I would encourage you this morning to take these bulletins home with you. Uh, Psalm 103, 
and Psalm 104 would be good scripture readings for you and your family uh, on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, and whoever gathers in your house as, as you come to eat, as you come to celebrate, uh, Psalm 104, the psalmist, the poet, is thanking God and praising God for his uh, goodness that's seen in his creation. Uh, it mainly talks about the physical aspects of God's blessings to us. Psalm 103, is it emphasizes God's spiritual blessings to us. Uh, it begins with that great line that uh, we say almost every Lord's Day morning, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And then the psalmist lists the spiritual benefits of being in a relationship with God. Uh, take these home. Uh, read those. Pray. You can pray the prayer of thanksgiving again with your family on Thanksgiving Day. Before we come to our message, Thanksgiving, something we do or a way of life, let's bow and ask the Father to teach us. Our Father, we bow before you, thanking you for the week that has passed and how you bless. Thanking you, Father, for the week that's coming, knowing that the grace that has us, that sustained us last week is the same grace that will provide and sustain us in this coming week. Our Father, we thank you for the privilege of being priests for each other. We come before you praying, Father, for Priscilla Turner, that you will continue to give her strength for this time. We pray for those in our congregation, Father, in this, in this family, in this church family, that <clears throat> are hurting, that are sick, that are in any kind of need. Our Father, we bow before you and ask in their behalf that you would bring unusual blessing, bring healing where healing is needed. Bring forgiveness where forgiveness is needed. Bring peace where the storm is raging. Our Father, as we open your word now, we pray that you would speak powerfully to each one of us where we are. John Sartell cannot teach, cannot preach, so that we're profoundly affected in the depth of our being. No man, no one who stands behind this desk can do that. So, Father, once again, this morning, we pray that we would hear your voice in our hearts. 
We pray that when we leave here in a few minutes, we would know that you've spoken. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanksgiving, something we do or a way of life. If I gave a test right now and asked, simply ask one question, I'm sorry, I should have told you. Children, go to your respective classes. If I gave a test right now and asked, is the, in the Christian life, is thanksgiving to God something we do or is it a way of life? Every one of you would answer, it's a way of life. So if we already know that it's a way of life, why don't we just have the benediction right now and go home? The answer is easy. Because for most of us, even though we know it should be a way of life, most of the time it's only something we do. Many of us, including me, have little understanding of what God means when he talks about giving thanks. If I had to choose two texts, and this, this message is unusual in that we're going through lots of scriptures this morning. We usually have a, a passage. We look at that passage and go line by line and go through that passage. But this morning, it's more of a thematic message. We're talking about thanksgiving and giving thanks to God and, and what that looks like. But if I had to give two texts, one would be from Ephesians 5.20. It's there on your scripture sheet. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. That just sums it up. Always doing it. Always doing it for everything. And then from Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do in word or deed, whatever you do, whatever it is, in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God. Everyone at all times, give thanks. Live, that's what he's saying, live thankfully. Just read the Bible through from cover to cover with one thing in mind. Giving thanks to God. I like one way to, to read and to study scripture. You know, for instance, if you're thinking about the deity of Christ, or if you think about Christ in the Old Testament, uh, or you're thinking about where from Genesis to Revelation do you see the cross, read, read the Bible, read Scripture with, with that one thing in mind. Read the Bible. You know, so I'm going to read the Bible for the next month, and all I'm going to think about is, where does God call for thanksgiving? What does the Bible, what does God say about thanksgiving? It's a good way to read with just one subject in mind. You will be amazed at how you will see giving thanks on every page of Scripture. It's, it's just there, continually. I put a quote. I don't often do this. It's usually just Scripture on your Scripture sheet. But John Simmons and I do not know who he is or who he was. But this needs to be learned. It needs to be quoted. Gratitude to God should be as habitual as the receptions of mercy is 
constant. In other words, we, we are in constant receipt of his mercy. We constantly receive his mercy. He said that's how our thanksgiving should be. Gratitude to God should be as habitual as the reception of mercies is constant. Getting up in the morning and thanking God for the day. Saying a prayer of thankfulness at every meal and retiring every night by thanking God for the day. Those are good things, but that's not living a thankful life. It's just not. That is not what God calls always giving thanks to God for all things. Now, many times we interpret always giving thanks to God for all things as learning to give thanks to God and seeing God's goodness even in the worst of times, even in the worst of days. And we make that the ultimate test. I was, I was reading a Jewish writer who gave examples of, of, what, uh, of Jewish thanksgiving. It was, it, was, it was so good. Listen to what he wrote. If the, now, this is a Jewish man writing, of course, also. If the head of the household dies in a sudden and untimely fashion, the response is, well, at least we can be thankful he has sons to say Kadesh for him. If there are no sons, well, at least we can give thanks that his daughters might marry well and the widow won't want for anything. Or if there are no children, well, we can be thankful that there are no children for the poor widow to support. And then the writer did this last one. He spoke of a Jewish merchant who saw his business go up in flames during the pogrom in Russia. And he said, so at least they burned out my competitor too. Even though remaining and maintaining a thankful heart during times of tragedy is some of what God means. It's not the sum total of what God means when he says always giving thanks to God for everything. So what does it mean? What does it look like? Does this mean that we walk around all day long saying, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. Biblical thanksgiving is like breathing. I don't walk around saying, breathe, 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 John. When I run, when I walk, when I laugh, when I talk, all of those things, all of those actions denote that I'm breathing. They declare to the world around me, I'm breathing. I'm alive. Just so when we are living thankfully, there are many ways that it will be seen in our lives without us using the words thank you. What's that look like? Living a thankful life. Well, first, living thankfully shows up in the way that we talk. We don't complain. We don't whine. When we read Psalm 103 and Psalm 104 this morning, 
What was missing there? Whining. Complaining. In my home, in my home where I was raised, I was disciplined as much for whining as I was for lying. Both were seen as equal sins. You didn't whine and you didn't lie. And if you did, you were going to suffer for it. Where did my dad get that? He got it from Scripture. Look at Numbers 11.1. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. I love that phrase. The Lord heard their complaining. Anytime you complain, it's going to be in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Now, parents, I'm going to speak straight to you. Some of you just slough off the whining of your children. Your children whine, and you just act like you're cool, you're laid back, you don't think anything about it. The whining of your children angers, it may not anger you, but it angers the Lord. My father understood that. Look at, look at Numbers 11.4. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. I want you to capture how foolish that was, how blind they were, how forgetful they were. That sounds like they were living in Egypt under the life of luxury. They were slaves. They were beaten. They, didn't, they weren't free. God had given them Moses, a great leader. He had freed them from slavery. He had delivered them from the most powerful nation and army in the world. And they had not lift, they did not lift a finger for any of that to happen. They didn't fight their way out of Egypt. He had given them food. He gave them water. He was taking them to a great land. And what was their response? They murmured all the way from Egypt to Canaan. Complaining is the opposite of thanksgiving. Look at Romans 3, 13. In this, in this passage, Paul is summing up the effects of sin on our lives, the effects of a sin nature on our lives. And he makes this awful statement. He said their throat, and he's speaking about us, he's speaking about himself. He said their throat is an open grave. Now, you think about an open grave and opening up a casket and the person has been dead for decades. It's not a pretty sight. He said, that's how your mouth looks. Why did he say that? He said, they use their tongues to deceive. In other words, they lie and they cheat with their mouth. The venom of asps is under their lips. 
They hurt people. They strike out against people with their words. But then look at verse 14. The last reason that their mouth looks like an open grave is their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Should your mouth to me looks like an open grave because it's full of cursing and bitterness. Now, when he says the word cursing, cursing, we think of someone taking the Lord's name in vain. That's not what he's saying. Not at all. He said their mouth is full of bitterness and cursing. What was he saying? Their mouth is full of bitterness, resentment, and complaining. God has given us grace upon grace. The very, the very fact that we're living and breathing whether we know God or not, whether we're Christian or not, that we're living or breathing is a gift from Him. See, when when we complain, you know, if parent, if your if your child was walking through the house and just said, you know, just just use the phrase "God damn." You would pick that child up and wear him out. And yet God says, when the same child walks through the house whining and complaining about what he doesn't have, we slough it off. That child is cursing God's grace. And you ought to take it seriously. Complaining is the opposite of Thanksgiving. Most of, with most of us, it's just a daily thing. It's, it's, a, it's, it's habitual in our life. Daniel Webster. Uh, we've all been in this place where we, we see somebody and we, we know we know them but we've forgotten who they are. We've forgotten where it was we met them. Daniel Webster said whenever he met someone like that and he couldn't think of their name, he couldn't think of how they fit in, couldn't think of where he had met them, he had one question he would ask them. You know what it was? He would say, the last time we met, you were really complaining about something. How, how did that work out? And the person would always just start talking about this past grievance. You start talking about the complaint. He said that it never failed. What was that saying? That it's just, it's a constant in our lives. Well, what do you do with that? If, it, if it's a constant, if it's always there, how do you combat complaining? The first way is to literally become fixed. Is just set your mind, set your eyes on the truth of God's constant grace. Set your eyes on the immensity of His grace. There was an old gospel song that we used to sing in the country where I grew up. Maybe some of you have heard it. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Remember, count your blessings. Name them one. 
You know what? That's biblical. That's what God is saying. Count your blessings. Count your blessings. Set your eyes on the immensity of your blessings. Now, what's going to shock you is even on the bad days, even on the days when things are not going right, it's going to shock you about the thousands of blessings that are still yours in that very hour. In my first pastorate, uh, I was friends with a, a CPA who was uh, middle-aged, and by you know he he had he was around forty years old and was terribly successful, but he had been raised in poverty and he had never forgotten it. Uh, he was raised uh, by in a single-parent home by his mother, and he said. He said, John, he said, frequently, all we had was flour. Maybe a little milk mixed with water. And said, my, my mother would make biscuits. And she would make gravy. And she would tell me, he said, to this day, he said, even though some, there were some weeks we had it every day for weeks, he said, I still love biscuits and gravy. He said, we would give thanks for the biscuits and gravy and for all the other blessings that God had given us. And he said, Mom was always careful to pray for those that didn't have flour. Wow. That was a lady, that was a mother who had her eyes fixed on God's goodness. I got the flower and I've got my son's life and he's living and he's breathing. And I've got this place to live. She's counted God's blessing. The other way to combat the habit of complaining is just to refuse. Just refuse to complain. You don't walk around actually taking the Lord's name in vain in some cursing way that the world does. Maybe you did at one time. I knew uh, an Air Force general, and uh, he cursed. I, I wanted to say he cursed like a sailor. He cursed like an Air Force general. What he did. It was just constant, profanity, awful. But you know what happened when he became a Christian? I mean, he had done this for 80 years. This man was a hardened military man. This man became a Christian. Became a Christian in his 80s. In a matter of days, he stopped. Taking the Lord's name in vain, cursing like, it just stopped. It had been a habit for all those years. Stop. You can pray and say, Father, stop me from complaining. I am a recipient of your abundant grace, of your abundant mercies. I, it, it, I'm surrounded by it. Give me eyes to see. Give me ears to hear. 
Stop my complaining. Refuse to. Living thankfully shows up in the way we talk. We don't complain. Living thankfully shows up in the way we give. Look at Deuteronomy 16, 17. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. Now stop right there. Think about that. He said, you're giving, whether it's giving in the church or giving to your friends or giving in your family, whoever, your giving should reflect how good God's been to you. I want to ask you a question. Does your giving, whether it's here in church or whether it's out in the world, do members of your family say to you, Dad or, or Mom, why do you give like that? You know, don't you think you did too much here? What, why are you doing this? I think that, you know, People ought to be saying that. If you're giving like God is giving to you, because I promise you the angels want to ask the Father sometimes, why are you doing that? Why did you give your own son for these wretches? Why do you give them food to eat? Thomas Abeckett. When he became Archbishop of Canterbury, there's a story that the Archbishop of Canterbury had to give away his wealth when he became Archbishop. And, and most did this as a ceremonial thing. They really didn't do it. But Thomas of Becket gave away his wealth. He really did. And the, as the story goes, in the midst of that, he, he looked at a statue of Christ that was in the church. And he turned and he said to the statue, only you know how really easy this is. Why did in the New Testament, he caught it, why in the New Testament do we read, don't give reluctantly? Why? Because it is to reflect how freely God gives to us. You're giving to God. You're giving to the world around you. Should reflect not only in the amount that you give, it should be reflect with the attitude. It's not reluctance. And there's just constant giving to others. A passage that you can read about Thanksgiving with your children, with your family. I love It's one of my favorite passages in all the Old Testament. It's Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 10 and 12. That whole passage is so beautiful. But look at it. It's on your scripture sheet. Nehemiah said, he's talking to the people of Israel, um, and he said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. In other words, this was at a time, this was when they were celebrating a, a, a feast in Israel. And he's telling them to go to a party. But before you do, you go, you send some of your wine, you send some of your food to people that don't have any. 
And then look at verse 12. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food. So it's, it's not just how you give back to the Lord. It's how you give to the world around you. Living thankfully shows up in the way we talk. We don't complain. Living thankfully shows up in the way we give. Living thankfully shows up in the way we pray. Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. You want to make a request to God first, you come thankfully. Colossians 4, 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 and 19. Pray continually. Verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What is God saying in all those passages? Thankfulness is an attitude. That is the foundation of all of our prayers. You have all heard the acronym, or most of you have, ACTS as a, as a pattern for prayer. A-C-T-S. ACTS. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and petition. You know... That's all right. But too often, too often, we will say, okay, my prayer's got to contain adoration, confession, thanksgiving, petition. That separates, that separates thanksgiving as just one part of our prayers. Isn't that how you think about, all right, I've finished now my thanksgiving part of my prayer. Thanksgiving is the basis of adoration. It's one of the reasons we pray and praise. Thanksgiving is the basis of confession. Thanksgiving is the basis of petition. Thanksgiving is not something we do in prayer. It is our prayer, just like it's the way we live. On a Sunday morning in Virginia, uh, our church... You know, our church had just voted out of a very liberal uh, denomination that was moving away from Scripture, moving away from the deity of Christ, moving away from the doctrines we owe precious. And our church had voted out. And we had lost our property. And it was a hard time. We were looking for a place to worship. And this was a town where it didn't have a red light. We just didn't have a place to go. And there was this old dilapidated town hall that was actually boarded up. And there was an upstairs room. And the Masons met there. And the Masons told us about it and said, why don't you use that room? Well, I went up to look at it. It was awful. This narrow stairway walking up there and it was dusty. It, it was it was dusty and, and uh, hot during the summertime, dank and cold during the wintertime. Here we were standing. I was really mad, but on the place. And so we went there to worship. And I was so mad that first Sunday about it. Here we were taking this historic stand and, and uh, we're, we're doing what the reformers had done. And this is what we got. We lost our church building and we got this, this terrible place to meet. And so that Sunday morning, this literally, this, just like this, I went 
to Mr. Fletcher. He was one of the greatest Presbyterian elders I've ever known. He was somewhere between 75 and 80. And I said, Mr. Fletcher, would you pray this morning? Would you pray the pastoral prayer this morning? He said, I'll be glad to. So it came time, because I, with my attitude, I, I just couldn't do it. <laughs> so uh, there, we got to that time, and the worship, I said, Mr. Fletcher is going to pray for us. Mr. Fletcher was walked with a limp. He was not in good health. And he got up out of his chair, and he took a minute to kneel on the floor. And so everyone else in the congregation kneeled. And I can't remember the rest of his prayer. I don't know that I heard it. But his first words after he kneeled, as he began to pray, he said, Father, we thank you for this beautiful place that you have given us to worship. I felt like I was this high. Learning to pray, thankfully. Learning that every part of our prayer is about thanksgiving to God, is about praise to God. Living thankfully shows up in the way we talk, we don't whine. Living thankfully shows up in the way we give. Living thankfully shows up in the way we pray. Living thankfully, this is a good part, shows up in our joy celebration. Now, some of us who are stick in the mud, sad sack Presbyterians or Baptists need, you know, if if you haven't heard anything, you need to hear this. Deuteronomy 16, 13. Celebrate the Feast of Tabernacle for seven days after you have gathered produce of your threshing floor and your wine press. Be joyful at your feast, you, you, your sons, your daughters, your men servants, your maid servants, the Levites, the aliens, the followers, the widows who live in your towns. For seven days, celebrate the feast to the Lord your God in the place the Lord will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and all your work of your hands and your joy will be complete. When you give a gift to your children, say you give them a Christmas gift, or you give them a birthday gift, you insist, and rightly so, that they say thank you. Somebody else gives it to them, you say go and say thank you. But what's the greatest thanksgiving you receive? It's not just when they come and say thank you, granddad, thank you, mom, dad, thank you, grandmother. It's when you see them with the gift, whether it's a bicycle or trike, whatever it is, a ball, and they are having a blast. They are enjoying it. And you say, that's a good gift. I did good. That's what this is about. God says, rejoice, celebrate. You've harvested this great crop that I've given. 
Get out the wine. Get out the best food. Call in your neighbors and have a party. That's what he's saying. Now, if God ordered Israel to rejoice and celebrate over the bringing in of a crop, how much more should we rejoice and celebrate in the salvation we have through Jesus Christ? How much more should we celebrate in that cross? How much more should we celebrate the truth of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the great awesome truth of being in covenant with God, of prayer, of heaven. It's no wonder that the gospel is called the good news. The good news. Now, some hear that and say, oh, that's what we do on Sunday morning. We come and praise God and thank Him. That, that's our party. We do praise him. That's our worship. That's not what he's talking about here. How many of you have ever, I mean, we're having Thanksgiving this week. We've got a sorry view of Thanksgiving compared to God. God said, you're going to have a party, you're going to have it. It's going to be seven days long. Seven days. You're going to eat. You're going to feast. You're going to dance. You're going to laugh with your children and your grandchildren for seven days. Celebrating, not celebrate just having the stuff, no. Celebrating my goodness. This is really close to me because I grew up in a Christianity that did not have that view of God. I grew up in a Christianity that did not understand feasting, that did not understand celebrating, that did not understand the party. I want to ask you how you think. I grew up with a Christianity that looked at the world's party. The world, the lights, the food, the drink. The going. I, look, I grew up with a Christianity that looked on that and wanted to be there. But said, no, I, I can't do that. And one day I'm really going to feast in heaven. One day I'll get there. You know what the biblical view is? The biblical view is God's people feasting. Understanding creation. Understanding our dependence upon God like no one else. The biblical view is that the people of God feast. And the world looks at them and says, they've got something we don't have. They've got a joy we don't have. They've got a laughter we don't have. Now I want to ask you, who are we? Where do we fall in that? 
Is the world looking at Christ Presbyterian Church and saying, those people know how to party. Those people know how to play. Those people know how to feast. Those people know how to pastor. If, if we're not going to be that kind of church, I don't want to have anything to do with Christ Presbyterian Church. Because if we don't know how to feast, we don't know about the awesome immensity of the goodness of God to his people. This Thursday morning, no, you're not going to be in church. But pull out the stops. Celebrate. Read those scriptures. Thank God and celebrate. Make it so that your neighbors look at you and say, they've got something that I don't have. We're going to sing an appropriate hymn now. To close this Thanksgiving service, great is thy faithfulness, O God, my heart.